Welcome to Study Isaiah, the podcast where we examine the language, context, and meaning of the book of Isaiah with Dr. Paul Wegner. I'm Tyler Sanders, and with me is Dr. Wegner, who's going to tell us the Hebrew word of the day. Well, and actually, it's more of a phrase The today. Hebrew yeah. phrase of the day. Yeah. It's Yom Yahweh. Yom the, Yahweh. The day of the Lord. Day of the Lord. And why that's so important is because we're in a the part, you know, that has the oracles to the nations. And, it, and usually the day of the Lord is a day of judgment on the wicked. Okay. In fact, that's that's kind of how it starts. It's a it's a phrase that means judgment on the wicked. Later on, they find out that even in Israel, there's going to be judgment on them. So as it progresses through the well, the Bible, you know, because it it adds more revelation as it goes along, huh. then you find out that even Israel, one of these days, is going to have it's a day a of day. reckoning. Yeah, Yom yeah. Yahweh. Yeah, and this is going to come up early for us yeah. in our new section. Yep. Look at verse six says, yeah. wail for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Well, that makes it pretty clear. Yeah. <laughs> wail, destruction. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. You better get ready. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and chapter 13 is where we're starting. Yeah. Should we look at our big picture again? Yeah. Let's talk about the big picture because this is a new section. It for is. Us. Yeah. Do you remember it has three introductions, right? Yeah. Um, each one. Uh, if you look at 13.1, you'll see the new introduction. Mm-hmm. It says the oracle concerning Babylon, which Isaiah, the son of Amos saw. Mm-hmm. So they all had that phrase, the son of Amos saw or, yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So maybe not everybody agrees with this, but there was some, the structure here popped out at me after I thought about it a while. You've got what I call a palistrophe. Okay. Yeah, sorry about that. I figure (laughs) you see them everywhere, right? Uh, All right. But what I came across is I was wondering, why why would the oracles to the nations, why would they be parallel to Isaiah narratives? And why was there two things talking about the future, like the little apocalypse in chapters 24 through 27. Okay. And then you've got another one in uh, 34 and 35, mm-hmm. which once again talks about the future time period. Okay. I thought, well, that seems weird. Why wouldn't they all be together? Yeah. And then in the middle, there's this woe or- oracles or judgment oracles, and then restoration oh. followed back and forth. There's seven of them, and they go back and forth between both of them. So I thought, Man, that's okay. that when middle saying, part's at least interesting. When you're saying back and forth, like if it's if you can't see it, if you're just listening or something, okay. Like that, it, this is kind of like there's a woe oracle followed immediately by by a restoration. Yes, and that happens like well, it's eight eight or nine Se- times, seven times. In here, seven times. Yeah. So no um, eight. Sorry. One, two, three, four. Yeah, yeah. it looks like there's eight. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So because that, that's a little that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Twist on it, really. Well, and, and I think I saw that first. Then I started mm. wondering why do you have future time periods on both on sides, sides of, that. of that. And then I came across the oracles of the nation. There's one of them that we're going to talk about later today mm-hmm. in chapter 14. Okay. That's to Assyria. Yeah. Now remember, Assyria is their enemy at that time of right. Isaiah, right? So, right. so, and, and it's like four verses. It's very short. Yeah. And so you're wondering, well, why is that? But when you look at it, it's kind of like the most important verses in the oh, in the oracle because okay. because it says that this is the plan God did against the whole world. So he's he's oh. saying, I've done this against Assyria, but this is the plan for all of them that go against right. me. So I think what it is is it's a kind of the key to the oracles to the nations, uh-huh. and then the Isaiah narratives explain what God did to Assyria. So oh. that's how they kind I of see. fit. So, so there's a big connection in the oracles to the nations. 
Yes. Specifically the Oracle to Assyria. Assyria, yep. With the Isaianic 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 yeah. narratives. Yeah. That's in thirty six thirty nine, which really yep. is getting to the that's the end of our yeah. Yep. structure, right? The palestrove. Yeah. This big one that goes thirteen to thirty nine, and you're seeing yeah. kind of an Assyria connection. Yeah. And, yeah, and the reason I saw it is because it, it says, this is the plan that I have against the mm -hmm. whole world. Yeah. So so that makes it pretty clear that what I did to Assyria, if you guys go against me, mm -hmm. I'm going to do to you. And then to see what it is, you can go to the 36 or 39. You'll see and it. It's real clear what the, he did to it. Right. So, right. so I think I think that's the connection. Yeah. Okay. So, And today we're covering just the oracles to the nations. Yes. Which is probably ha almost half of. <laughs> yeah. But, it, but it's. It's huge. Yeah. 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 In, in one sense, there's a lot of similarities. Um, there's almost, a there's a judgment for each one of them. Uh -huh. Usually it explains the reason. And usually the reason is that this country has done something against Israel uh -huh. or his people. Yeah. And therefore there's a restitution that has to be done. Right. And and there's even some unique things in there. I will get to them, but there's I noticed a lot stuff. of interesting. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, I having, you know, spoken to you before time, I kind of assumed they would maybe line up even more. Yeah. Um, or structurally, they maybe even kind of I, I assume they may follow a similar structure, but they're very there's a lot of variety there. There's a lot of yeah. very specific figurative language yes. that doesn't necessarily repeat. It's kind of there's unique yeah. things about each yeah, uh, each country. That uh, it was fascinating to read. Yeah. And if you know the history, probably it makes even more sense. Some mm. of them are so figurative, it's hard to know exactly what they're getting at. Yeah. But some of them are real clear. It's clear. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, and, and some of them we know just because of the history, like Babylon, we know what they did. And Babylon is our first yes. oracle, correct? Yeah. So why don't we go to it? Let's get into it. Most people have no idea where Babylon is and yeah. what it is. First of all, they're what we call city-states. Yeah. That's that's where a, a city yeah. becomes so big that it starts taking over neighboring yeah areas. villages and stuff yeah, yeah. so um, things like even Jerusalem at some point is like more like a city state because it's mm. controlling areas uh, that in Samaria it's yeah. it's a, a huge thing but it's growing I'm trying to th I think Damascus is probably our best example of one because it, Damascus never you you hear more about Damascus in these oracles than you do Syria. Well, sure. Syria is the country, so why it doesn't it mention the country? Where are all these other most a lot a lot of these other ones mention the country? Yeah. And I think the answer is because it was a city state long before it was a country. Yeah. And anyway, as it grows, then it takes in this other land, so that it becomes a country. Then in time, it starts taking different countries. Yeah. It becomes an empire, and they just continue to grow. Um, the first one was Assyria. Right. Then Babylon took over what it controlled, plus what Assyria, plus Assyria. controlled. Then yeah. Persia took over what it controlled, and everything that the Babylonians and the Assyrians right. controlled. So it just kept right. getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. So really, before this, the focus has been on Assyria. Yeah. Uh, so why is Babylon coming in? Why do you think Babylon is the first? Oracle here. Now remember, we're in another section, so probably what happened is that these were separate oracles mm. against the nations that at some point were just pulled together. I think the reason Babylon is at the beginning is because it also ends the the palestra. Remember, mm. um, in the almost the very last verse, uh, he says that uh, one of these days they're going to be taken off into Babylon. Okay. So it kind of starts this big palestra. It also yeah. ends this big. Palestrophe. Okay. Babylon is one of the bigger ones too. 
So mm-hmm. that could yeah, also be. Yeah, I did be. notice that. Yeah. And, and probably it's because God's got some real judgment on it because they're, they were the ones that deported their yeah. people, or you know, Judah at least. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's get into the text. <laughs> All right. Okay. What I did is I tried to find certain sections that we could read and then that'll tell us. So we won't cover everything, but we'll cover pretty much the verses we've got here. And mm-hmm. I figured by seeing these verses, It'll give you a picture of everything else. Yeah. Okay. Now, if there's things that I miss, you can bring them up and I'll try to explain them. I'll tell you everything. Yeah, 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 Yeah. that's right. That's right. (laughs) Okay. So let's start at verse six in chapter 13. Yeah. Which is our Hebrew word of the day verse. That's right. Yeah. So wail for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the almighty. Therefore, all hands will be limp and every man's heart will melt. They will be terrified. Pains and anguish will uh, take hold of them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will also look at one another in astonishment. Their face is aflame. I, I think, uh, you know, when a f- uh, face turns red, so that I think that's what it's getting at when it says its face is uh, yeah. aflamed. Yeah. Okay. Behold, the day of the Lord is, Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation. He will exterminate it, its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark uh, when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. I'm still going mm. to a few more verses, but part of the reason I went that far is notice it's connecting these with what sounds like futuristic elements, like the sun's going to turn black and those kind of things. Yeah. So it's it's actually mentioning those even now. So I'm actually believing that at the end time, it's picking up these images that were already wow. in the future, you know, already in the past that they knew about. Yeah. Uh, so and we know something like that would be a real destruction on a country, right? So yeah. So it's when it, it does that, it's given us a picture of it with symbolic language. Okay. Okay. I see. Yeah. So, so then when Revelation or something like that picks it up, yeah. the images were already there. They just used I see what them you're saying. again. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Verse 11. I will punish the world for its evil and the wickedness of their iniquity. And I will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud. So he's now not only giving you that he's going to destroy Babylon and here it even talks about the world, the wicked. So it's, uh, you know, the world and it's for its evil. Mm. So it's, it's connecting it now with not only Babylon, but even further the judgment that at some point he's going to pour out. We'll see that further when we get to the little apocalypse, but it's, it's already got little images here as we go along. Yeah. Okay. And do you remember when we were in chapter two, it talked about the, uh, the loftiness of man. He's going to bring down oh, yeah. all yeah. the high trees. He's going to yeah, cut down. Right, right. And, and basically it was because of their pride. Yeah. Well, it's coming back here and you can see right, that. Right. Okay. All right. I will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud the, and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. I will make, make mortal men scarcer than pure gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. So he's basically saying there's not going to be hardly any left after this big destruction. Yeah. Okay. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken from its place at the, at the fury of the Lord of hosts in the day of its burning is burning anger. And it will be like a hunted gazelle or like a sheep that none can gather them and they will turn to its own people and each one will flee to their own land. That's probably enough. I, I, oh no, I wanted to get to verse 16. Um, look at verse 16. Their little ones will also be dashed to pieces before yeah. their eyes. Their houses will be plundered and their wives ravaged. Now that is intentional because if we go back to Psalm 139, it says that Babylon did that to Israel. And so this oh. is actually a restitution 
for what Babylon did to them. Yeah. Now they're going to get it back. Yeah. So, so that's why I want to make sure you saw 16 because that is crucial yeah. to the, why is, why is God punishing them? Well, right. there's a really good reason and it's going to be pretty thorough and it's going yeah. to be pretty thorough because what they did. Yeah. Does it make sense? And this is kind of a balancing yeah. kind of idea of justice in a way. Yeah. Where God is pouring out what they did back on their heads, yeah. basically. Yeah. Yeah. God, it's it's interesting. God often does that um, throughout Scripture. You'll often have that this they did, and so this is the consequence of what mm. they did, and and they're often connected. Like they starved people, so they're going to starve. Yeah. Or they they were real cruel to people, so they're going to have cruelness done to them. So there's often that retribution kind of yeah. punishment. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's the first section. Mm-hmm. Then. It goes into more specifics. Now, if we didn't know this was an oracle to Babylon, this first part is so general, it would have been hard to know that. But when we get to verse 17, it starts getting more specific. Look what it says. Behold, I'm going to stir uh, up the Medes against them and those who will not value silver or take pleasure in gold. So the Medes were the ones that that actually conquer you know the Medes and the Persians yeah them together oh yeah, yeah took yeah. the Babylonians yeah so so at this point he's actually given us a little hint who it's going to be now remember this oracle has to be way before the Babylonians were around because remember Isaiah's in the 700s Babylon doesn't come and take them until more like the 600s yeah. so so this is a future him telling them what's going to happen and that he's going to punish them for it. Yeah. So, so it's kind of neat. You've got this oracle of judgment, but it's also in the future for them. Right. They, they wouldn't have known this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. It's it's telling when it says, "Who will not value silver or take pleasure in gold?" That probably means you can't buy them off. Yeah. So they're going to come and judge you no matter what you do. You can't. Yeah. You can't get away from it. Right. Okay. Their bows will mow down down the young men, and they will not even have compassion on the fruit of the womb, nor have their eye have pity on children. And Babylon, the beauty of the kingdoms, the glory of the Chaldeans' pride, will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It will never be inhabited or lived in from generation to generation, nor will the Arab pitch its tent there, nor will shepherds take their flocks and lie down there, but desert creatures will lie down there. So that gives you some clue about how bad it's going to yeah, be. It's completely going to be desolate. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Look at verse 20. It will never be inhabited or lived in from generation to generation. So that's telling you, this is going to be a constant thing. And if you mm-hmm. go to Babylon today, you can actually see the ruins. They're still there. Right. You know? Yeah. So in, in Isaiah's time, this was a prophecy about what was going to happen to Babylon. And now they actually can see that it actually took place. Yeah. Very accurately. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I thought that's kind of neat. So oh, that, yeah, yeah. That's that gives you some flavor of what these oracles to the nations are like. Yeah. Okay. These are elements that will appear in. Yeah. Over and over again. Yeah. 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 Okay. Now I want to show you the next. So you've got two chapters, 13 and 14. Mm-hmm. Well, 14, he's got this like, it begins like with this interlude saying, okay, Babylon's going to be destroyed, but my people are going to come back stronger than ever. You know, so, so mm. look at verse three. And it will be in the day when the Lord gives you rest from the pain and and turmoil and harsh service in which you have been enslaved. Now, remember, this is Isaiah's time. They wouldn't have known that. Right. You know, so we're in the 700s. He's talking about the 600s. Yeah. Okay. So so he's letting them know, you guys are going to have a little problem here. Okay. Uh, That you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon and say, so, so it's like a 
a song of judgment almost. Like, yeah, yeah taunt is when you're kind of- When you're ahead, maybe. Pick, yeah, you're picking on somebody. Yeah, and, you're winning. You're yeah. <laughs> making fun of the loser. Kinda. Yeah, 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 there you go. Okay, I'm going to read a pretty good section of this because I want you to see- it goes into a part that I know you're real familiar with. Okay. So I need to I need to have you see the beginning. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So how the oppressor has ceased. So that means the oppressor is probably Babylon. And now we see. So that means he's been destroyed. Yeah. Okay. And how his fury has ceased. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of rulers, which used to strike the people in fury with unceasing strokes. That that probably means. They went way over what they needed to do. Yeah. So they were cruel, it sounds like. Yeah. Okay. Which subdued the nations in anger with unrestrained persecution. The whole earth is at rest and is quiet. They break forth with shouts of joy. Even the cypress trees rejoice over you and the cedars of Lebanon sang. Now I, got, I need to let you know that. That's actually kind of neat because one of the reasons the Assyrians and the Babylonians took the land of of Lebanon was mm. they wanted to cut down their trees. Yeah. So it's saying, well, yeah. now nobody's coming after us That's anymore. Right, yeah. So even yeah. the trees are happy that yeah. Babylon's been destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Since you were laid low, no tree cutter has come up against us. Mm. So see, that makes sense. Yeah. The Persians didn't really care about that, apparently. Yeah. They Their empire was so big, they could probably get uh, wood else. from everywhere, yeah, yeah. everywhere else. Okay. Now, look at Sheol from beneath is excited over you to meet you when you come. It rouses for you the spirits of the dead and the leaders of the earth. It raises all the kings of the nations from their throne. They will respond and say to you, even you have been made like uh, weak as, as we. You have become like us. Your pomp and the music of your harps have been brought down to Sheol. Maggots are spread out and your bed beneath you and worms are your covering. So they're cheering that Babylon's been destroyed because that Babylon was the one that came and destroyed all yeah. of them. Yeah. So he says they're they're ecstatic because now he's got he's as weak as they are. They're right. He's being eaten up by worms just like happened yeah. to them. Yeah. So this so it's now remember it's figurative. Yeah. But it but it really makes sense. It, it, all of these you know these people certainly would have hated Babylon for destroying them. Yeah. And it's saying well don't worry they're going to get their time to to make yeah. fun of you now. Yeah. Yeah. So did you see that figurative language and all that? But it, yeah, but it, sure. but it's telling yeah. us something. It's telling us what it was like. And Well, yeah, because really like, I mean, when I read that, it seemed to me it was like the dead are saying this yeah. essentially. Like the yeah. dead, the kings, of, you know, and the rulers that you defeated are all kind of like, that's yep. right. That's now exactly you're going to be right. just like us. Yeah. Which of course, you know, we would say is. Yeah. Yeah. That, that'd be figurative. But it, it totally makes sense. It's a good image, I think, to explain. I think so. You know, yeah. where where he's going to end up, you know, yeah. where Babylon's going to end up. Okay. Now, the next couple of verses are going to explain it, I think, even further. Mm. But it's going to use language that's even more hyperbolic and figurative and stuff like that. Okay. So look what it says. How have you fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn? Now, before I go anymore, <laughs> I've got to let you know. Yeah. It was the, the Latin Vulgate that translated that star of the morning as Lucifer. So if I ask you what's Satan's name, yeah, right, right. you're going to tell me Lucifer, right? Sure. Well, here's where it comes from. Yeah. And not, I'm not convinced this is talking about Lucifer. I, yeah. I think the star of the morning probably was Venus. It was known as a star that would climb in the morning and then would appear to tumble down because it, it didn't have the orbit that went made it go circular all the way around. Yeah. It would actually more start kind of turning. Cut off or whatever. Yeah. So it would look like it was falling to the earth instead huh. of instead of continuing around circuit. 
Does that make sense? Am yeah, I yeah. clear there? Yeah. Um, well, what the people would have seen. Yeah. And, and remember, it. the Babylonians, their whole they, they were stargazers, so they were mm. astrologists and stuff like that. So they studied the stars. So they would have been aware of that. So, so the the term "star of the morning" was probably going to be really familiar to them. They would know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's Venus, and that's a the planet that that looks like it tumbles to the earth. Yeah. So it would make sense. All right. So how have you fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn? You've been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit in the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. So the question, you've probably heard the five I wills of Satan. And they get them from this passage. I think it's still talking about king of Babylon. It seems like that. It's it, if you read it in context. Now, if you take it out of context, you could see how it would apply to yeah. Satan. But I think it's supposed to. It's figurative to understand who the king, uh, the boastfulness of the king of Babylon. Remember, it's already told us about how arrogant and proud they are. Yeah. And and then he's going to be brought low. And you know this for sure, right? Uh, we see Daniel and remember uh, right, uh, right. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar yeah. when he's standing on the uh, top of Babylon and he yeah. says, "Is this not?" Mighty Babylon, which I have made, yeah, and God, God stops him and makes yeah. him an animal, right? So my understanding is that they later on, when they saw these things happening and saw what Scripture said about it, I think it would make sense to them, yeah. Okay, yeah. so now I need to give you this too. Hmm. I'm convinced that any real, real wicked person is also a picture of Satan, right? Mm. So if you want to say, oh, it's a wicked person, it's a picture of Satan. I'll give you that because that's that's true all the time. Yeah, but I don't think this biblical text is actually referring to Satan. I think what it's doing is it's talking about the king of Babylon, but just showing how wicked people are very characteristic of Satan too. Right, and and that makes right. sense. I mean, the the greater the wickedness, the more they look like Satan. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> yeah, I would think that's <clears throat> normal almost. All right. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit in the Mount of Assembly in the recesses of the north. See, for them, the recesses of the north are where their gods dwelled. Hmm. So the north is the word Safan. And they had something called Mount Safan where they thought the gods dwelt. And it had snow capped. So hmm. they thought, oh, this is really special that the gods must dwell up there. Yeah. Well, that that's why I think this truly would make sense to them. You know, that's where they thought the gods dwelled. So... That's where this guy's falling from. Yeah. Okay. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. So that's the boastfulness. Do you remember the Assyrian in uh, chapter 10 where he talks about, oh, and, and you know, and, and I plucked up all the gold and all that, just like, like a, a person gathers eggs from a chicken right. and none of them pluck, you know, flap their wings or even clucked yeah, against yeah, yeah. me. Yeah. And he's saying, this is another picture of a, a wicked person, another wicked king yeah. acting the same way. Yeah. Now, here's my evidence for what I'm telling you. Look at the next verse. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol in the recesses of the pit. Now, you could say, oh, Satan is going to be cast down to Sheol. Mm-hmm. But then look at the next verse. Those who see you will gaze at you. They will ponder over you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble? Yeah. Well, it just That's told us who, Yeah, it just told yeah. us who it was. Yeah. So unless you take that section out and apply it to somebody else, I think in context it makes perfect sense yeah. that it's talking about the king of Babylon. Yeah. Now I'll give you, the king of Babylon is wicked like Satan is, and so right. he's a picture of him and that makes sense. Yeah. But the text itself says it's a man. Well, and it, I mean, like what we've seen a lot, there's a lot of like 
figurative language is going to use things that you are aware of and you know. And like there, there may even be an argument to be made that like you understand things of a spiritual nature, like Lucifer, God, you know, by seeing how they're compared to men, you know, this could help us kind of understand who Lucifer is, but main is not a direct reference to him, you know? In, in the same sense as uh, any wicked person is like yeah. Satan, these things would fit for him too. Yeah. And I, I always want people to be really careful because some people say, oh, it's so figurative, you can't understand it. Well, that's not really true. Mm. I've always argued that figure speech is, or, you know, figure speech, whatever they are, are set in at least in a little reality so that they understand yeah. it. it my, my classic example is that when, when, I, when I say, eat my dust, if I if I tell you we're going to have a race and you're going to be eating my dust, you know what that means? It means yeah. that I'm going to be ahead of you and you're kicking up dust. Yeah, right. But actually, there's a very literal thing about that too, right? If mm-hmm. I was that far ahead of you kicking up dust, you will be eating my dust. Yeah. So it's that that figure of speech has a core of of real truth in it, yeah. and I would actually argue that these have a very literal thing behind them yeah. that gave rise to those figures of speech. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I think is happening. Yeah, that makes sense to okay. me. Okay, yeah. good. So my real key was verse 16, yeah. where it says, is this the man who made the earth tremble? Yeah. Okay, does chapters 13 and 14 make sense? This is an yeah. oracle against Babylon. Yeah. It's it's talking a lot about the judgment that's God done, has mm-hmm. gonna do to them. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is because that they treated Israel very poorly so that they're gonna have their uh, little ones dashed to pieces and yeah. and that. So that phrase there is the same one you get in the, the psalm. psalm that yeah. says this what the Babylonians did. Yeah. So it's 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 really in my mind kind of a clear picture of what God's going to do. Now there's a whole lot more in there. I agree. Yeah. But, yeah. But I just want I thought if you got the core, it would make some sense. Then. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. All right. So what's our next one? Okay. Next one is in fourteen as well, right? Yes. And it's this area. This in my mind. The most important one. Yeah. First of all, let me tell you, uh, can you see verse 28? It says, in mm-hmm. the year that King Ahaz died, the, the oracle came. Yeah. Um, some people aren't, aren't sure whether that goes with the Assyrian oracle. Or the following one. Or the following one. I'm going to argue it's almost always uh, titles like that are at the beginning of an uh, oracle. Section, yeah. Hardly ever is it at the end. I've never, in fact, I've never seen one at the end. Yeah. So I think this one has to be connected to the next one. And actually, there it, it makes some sense with the next mm. one. So I'll show you why I okay. think it's there. But that means so from verses 24 to 27. That's really all that's, we get on Assyria. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, let's look and see where it is. So yeah. that's that's basically the uh or you know, the empire. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they they didn't conquer Egypt until like Ashurbanipal, uh, which is one of the later Assyrian kings. So it's it's this was a building process and they kept getting more and more as they, as they went along. So Babylon is even included in that. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And a lot of times Assyria and Babylon fought even before Babylon yeah. was even an empire yeah. because, because Babylon hated being ruled by the sure. Assyrians. So, yeah. so probably some of the, the fiercest fighting for Assyria was against Babylon. Wow. Even before Babylon was an empire. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay, now this one, we got to read all of it because it's so crucial. Well, it'll be easy because this is very short. Yeah, 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 that's right. All right. The Lord of hosts has sworn saying, oh, I once did a, a thesis when I was in uh, doing my THM on when God swears. Mm. And when God swears, 
sometimes there's in the context he'll use, like he swears by his mighty arm or something mm. like that. So it's, it's got something to do with what's crucial about this, this passage. But here where he's swearing, he's letting you know, this is really going to happen. You might not believe it, mm. but it's going to. Now remember, for Assyria at this time and in, in Isaiah's time, he knows that they're growing and he knows that they're a powerful nation. And he's had a lot of interactions with them already. Yeah. They, they took the Northern Kingdom already away. Right. Okay. So, so if in, and in 701, he's going to come down on, on Judah. Yeah. So Isaiah knows that, in fact, a lot of that history he already is aware of. Yeah. So when it says the Lord of hosts has sworn saying, my guess is it's because he needs to make it really strong you better believe this. Yeah. You may not believe it at this point, but it's true. Yeah. Okay. So look what he says. Surely just as I have intended, so it was it has happened. And notice it says it has happened. Yeah. That's past tense. Yeah. So this was recorded after. Oh, hang on, I'll just tell you when it has to be after. And just as I have planned, so it will stand. To break Assyria in my land, and I will trample him on my mountains, and then the yoke will be removed from from them, and his burden from upon their shoulders, and this will be the plan devised against the whole earth. So, my understanding here, it's past tense. It's after seven o one when God punished them and took broke the yoke off their shoulder and all that. Yeah. So that this actually he can say, just like it happened to them. So it will happen to the rest of them. So notice, this is the plan devised against the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out against all the nation. Oh, that stretched out. I know, I noticed that. I was like, oh, stretched hand, the uplifted hand, we're back. Okay, against all the nations, for the Lord of hosts is planned and who can frustrate it? For he has stretched out his hand, did it again, who can turn it back? So do you see? He's, that's why I think this one is the most important oracle of all of them, because he's yeah. saying not only that Assyria is going to be punished, but just like Assyria was punished, so are the rest of you guys going to be Yeah. if you come against me. Yeah. Okay? So that's what I think is one of the most important ones. Yeah. And, and I, think, I think it's interesting that you can tell it's already past tense. It's already happened, yeah. so they can actually see what's going on. Remember, I, oh, go ahead. Well, I thought I, I picked up on the outstretched yeah, hand thing, which I thought was really interesting, but I yeah. feel like this part really, it helps make sense out of that, that kind of figure of speech. I think too, because when it says sentence, who can frustrate it and who can turn it back, yeah, you know, it's ready, yeah, to strike, and only he could choose to, yeah, to relent that. Yeah, I think I think this is a kind of a helpful background. Now I was just going to say, now remember, these are probably not in chronological order. Yeah. So these oracles were given throughout Isaiah's lifetime. Remember, he's prophesied for 60 years. Right. So, so there's probably a good long time that yeah. these oracles could have been around there. Now, remember on the Babylon, that was in the future. Yeah. The one on Assyria seems like it's already it's past. past. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's helpful. Yeah. That's why knowing that history we talked about at the beginning, I think is crucial mm-hmm. for these, yeah, especially where these things parts. Fit in. Yeah. yeah, for sure. All right. So that's the Assyrians. Yep. Okay. Here's, I'm just summarizing. So uh, 24, so it has happened. This is a plan devised against the whole earth and the Lord has planned who can frustrate it. So in my mind, those are the kind of like the key things you got to remember about that one. Yeah. Okay. Philistia. All right. So Philistines had five cities. They didn't have just one major city. They actually had five and they all worked together. Those are the Pentapolis. So you had, yeah, Ekron, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gaza, and Gath. 
were kind of like their major cities and they all worked together. So I think you had to have agreement on, I'm not sure exactly how it worked, but my guess is you probably had to have agreement among the five before right. they could do something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's a little different than our yeah. city state. Yes. Idea we had. Yeah, earlier. because now you've got, I'm not sure when the Pantapolis yeah. came around, but they would have been big cities, yeah. but they didn't control as much as all of them together. So it's right. kind of interesting. It's a, it's a little like that, but a little different too. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. And what, what is the oracle against Philistia? Okay. It's going to be judgment, yeah. just like you expect. Yeah. But this one is actually interesting. And that's why I said that date actually helps us. Notice it says that this the is date the date in uh, 28. That, yeah. That King Verse Ahaz dies. Mm -hmm. Okay. Look at the next phrase. Do not rejoice, O Philistia, all of you, because the rod that struck you is broken. So the rod that struck him is probably Ahaz. Okay, now, oh. now you can go to this verse 29, because I, I put in the words there so you know. Okay, do not rejoice, O Philistia, all of you, because the rod that struck you is broken. So that would be mm -hmm. Ahaz. It just told you he died. Yeah. Okay. The rod that struck you is broken. For from the serpent's root, I think that Hezekiah, a viper will come. So, so Ahaz's son is Hezekiah, uh -huh. and from Hezekiah, a viper will come out, which is Sennacherib. Yeah. So it's not his offspring, but because Hezekiah rebelled against Sennacherib, they came against him in 701. Right. So I think that's what he's saying. So don't don't be so happy that Ahaz died because yeah. it's going to get even worse for you. Yeah. So the the serpent's root is going to be Hezekiah. From Hezekiah, a viper will come out from a different country, but even worse, okay? And its fruit will be a flying serpent. Esarhaddon, who's even worse than Sennacherib. <laughs> so really what it's saying is, don't, don't be so excited because it's going to get worse for you. Now, it's once again in figurative language, but yeah. it's kind of brilliant if you, you think about it. You can see it, yeah. Ahaz went against Philistia and you know they, they hated him because he, he punished him. Yeah. And now he, they're broken, but he's saying, don't be too excited yeah. because his son is going to be a, from the serpent's root, meaning Ahaz. Yeah. Hezekiah is going to come out, yeah. and because of Hezekiah, a viper is going to come on you. Yeah. So it's it, if you know the history, those those things make so much sense. Yeah. Well, so, and the, I think the <clears throat> images yeah. are still pretty sensible to you yeah. know. Uh, yeah. My assumption is a viper would be a poisonous. Yes. So yeah. like that's worse than probably a serpent, or more at least more specific, maybe. Yeah, it's probably more specific. I kind because because from what I can tell, a nahash, uh, which is the word for serpent in Hebrew usually means a poisonous serpent. Oh, okay. So if that's true, a viper is probably just more specific yeah. one. And and viper maybe they thought was even more dangerous. You know, mm. cobras and vipers and stuff like yeah, that yeah. are thought to be about the worst kind of snakes they would know. Right. Right. And then a flying serpent. Well, uh, that's that got, sounds horrible. Yeah, we, yeah, that's right. You already talked about yeah, it earlier. I, know, I really hate snakes. Hate snakes. <laughs> if they can fly, yeah. I mean. <laughs> but that probably just talks about the speed of it. And oh. Esther Haddon did, uh, came across and conquered people quite quickly, especially Interesting. Egypt. Yeah. Flying, so flying could be a reference to speed. Yeah, a, I'm almost uh, sure. In Daniel, that happens also, the language. Oh, that, right, right, right. Yeah. With the shaggy goat, right? Uh, yeah. He looks like he's flying because he's moving so fast. Yeah, and the leopard that has wings. Oh, right, right, The right, idea right. of the wings, again, would yeah. be for speed. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, now look at verse 31. Okay, 31. How then will will one answer the messengers of the nation that the Lord God has founded Zion and the afflicted of the people will seek refuge in it. So in the heart 
in Philistia who had attacked Israel uh -huh. and they were now cheering that, you know, that yeah, the king's dead. Yeah. And, and now we're going to be saved. Well, it's going to get worse for you, he says. And it's not going to get worse for Zion. In fact, mm. one of these days is talking about people seeking refuge there. I wanted you to see that because even in the midst of some of these oracles to the nations, where like in Babylon, it talked about them being destroyed, but that when that happens, Israel is going to have a restoration. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of times you'll have these little hints that even though this nation is going to be punished, don't worry, Israel's, Israel's still coming back. Have. Yeah. 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 Okay. So now we've done the third one, which is Philistia. Now Moab. Now, Moab. so here's Israel, right? Right kind of in the center. Okay. The Fli Philistines. They're in the west, yeah. Moab would be down, oh, actually on the east. Yeah. And then Edom will be underneath them. So yeah. these are all their their enemies yeah. around them. The neighboring. Yeah, and yeah. at different times, they were enemies. Uh, yeah. Not all the time, because a lot of times Moab was taken over by Israel or you know mm. controlled by Israel. Yeah. But there were major times when they weren't. And yeah. so because of the punishment that they did to Israel, they're going to get their punishment right back. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's look at a couple of things. So here's Moab. It's on the east side of the Dead Sea. Okay. Yep. Oh, King's Highway is the major road that goes along the, the mountaintops on that side of the of oh. the Dead Sea. Okay. So on the east side, you're going to have this major road. I think it's Highway 1 today in, in uh, Jordan. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it goes along the tops, but it was, it's was it been a major road for ages. Wow. Okay? Even back then, the King's Highway was pretty much known about. Yeah. And, and I believe why, why they called it the King's Highway is because um, they would bring their riches from Edom or mm -hmm. from the various countries, Saudi Arabia and those. They would bring their riches up to the various countries up north, like Assyria or Babylon. Mostly there's several cities right along. Yeah. Yeah. Right well, that would make sense, right? Because they yeah. would want to trade with them if they right. could and supply food and water. Yeah. They need that because it's a pretty dry country. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah. 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 All right. Okay. So what do we have to say about Moab? Okay. Let's look at verse one, the oracle concerning Moab. And that's kind of how most of these start, right? The mm -hmm. oracle concerning a country. Okay. Surely in a night, Ar uh, of Moab is devastated and ruined. Surely in a night, Kerr of Moab is devastated and ruined. Uh, usually what happens is they have uh, some term and then would explain it by the second word around hmm. them. Ir is often a, a, a word they say. Ir in Hebrew means city. So ir. City of here, something. Yeah. yeah. And then often gath. Mm. Gath means uh, wine press. Oh. And so it was a. A wine press, you know, and so yeah. so it would, you know, there's going to be wine presses all over the country. So they had to narrow it down. Well, which one is this one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's a lot of times how cities were named. I think huh. so. So it's saying two major cities are destroyed. Okay, devastated and ruined. Yeah, there you go. Pretty yeah, extensively. <laughs> so it gives you a real clue. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, they have gone up to the temple and to Dibon and to the high places to weep. Moab weeps over Nebo and, and Medaba. So, so basically the high places, um, those are the places where the, the uh, Baal or the false gods yeah. were worshipped. And notice, uh, Dibon was another major city, mm -hmm. Medaba, another one. Every head is bald and every beard is cut off. So they'd, they'd be, uh, if they're bald, it's because they've been shaved yeah. uh, and every beard cut off. So that's usually suggesting humiliation. Yeah. I remember uh, David's servants that got, oh, right. uh, who to, went to uh, the king of 
uh, Syria, I believe it was, when they came back, he cut off yeah. half their beard. Yeah. Well, they were so embarrassed that he had them stay yeah. in Jericho until, until he grew, grew back, back up. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's that kind of thing. In their streets, they have uh, girded themselves with sackcloth and their housetops in the squares. Everyone is wailing, dissolved in tears. Well, that's probably enough. You can actually see what's going on. Mm. Their, their mourning uh, devastation has come around. Yeah. So, so basically, the nation's been destroyed. Now look at verse five. My heart cries out, O Moab, and fugitives are as far as Zor and um, Eliath, Shalshaliah, for the, they go up to the ascent of Lutha uh, weeping. Surely the road of Haron raises a city of, or a cry of distress over their ruins. So basically the fugitives are fleeing. And, and you remember Zor? Uh, Zor is on this other side of the Dead Sea uh, in about the, the western middle side? of there. Yeah, okay. on the western side. And so that's the, the place where um, Lot wanted to flee to. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and he said, oh, yeah. isn't that a little city? So they were fleeing to these places to get away from the destruction. Yeah. Okay, then verse 13 is kind of interesting. So this one, once again, has two chapters. Not all of them do, but Moab hmm. is another one. But go to, go to verse 13, because this is interesting. Look what it says. This is a word which the Lord spoke earlier concerning Moab. So, so apparently the one before that was the, the later oracle, and this is one that was earlier. Oh. So Isaiah's put these two together, even yeah. though they're from different times. Yeah. Okay, yeah. look at this one. This is the word which the Lord spoke earlier concerning Moab. But now the Lord speaks, saying, Within three years, as a hired man would count them, the glory of Moab will be degraded among the great population, and its remnant will be very small and impotent. So basically, it's gonna, it's, he's already told them before that they're going to be destroyed, and yeah. now he's got another one to explain what's going yeah. on. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let me let me point out one more thing. Can you go back to chapter sixteen? I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, the beginning. Yeah, these yeah. there's some things in here that I think will help us. Send a tribute lamb, or send a lamb to the ruler of the land from Sela by the way of the wilderness to the mountain of the daughter of Zion. Sela is usually thought to be Petra, so if mm. you because it's it Sela means cliff, okay. and Petra was a city in the cliffs, yeah. basically. Yeah. So. Moab is sending a, a tribute lamb to Jerusalem, okay? Mm. Then, like fleeing birds or scattered nestlings, the daughter of Moab will be at the fords of the Arnon. Zared River is down at the bottom of the Dead Sea. Mm -hmm. The Arnon is up uh, about the middle. Halfway it's, on the and, east and side. Notice that's the top of Moab. So they're fleeing over the Arnon oh, to I get see. to Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah. Okay? Um, now, look at verse 3. Give us advice. Make a decision. Cast your shadow like like night at high noon, hide the outcasts, do not betray the fugitives. So apparently this is talking to Israel to not harm those fleeing from Moab. Yeah. Part of the logic is remember Moab was a relative to Israel. Yeah. Edom and Moab are, you remember the different brothers uh, that were related to yeah, yeah. Jacob, I believe it was, but but these countries were were part of them that, that and, and so because they're relatives, Israel's not to harm them. Yeah. And so that's what that's getting at. Let the outcasts of Moab stay with you. Be a hiding place to them from the destroyer. For the extortioner has come to an end. Destruction has ceased. Oppressors have completely been disappointed. So, so he's saying, now be kind to these the, to Moab. They're your relatives because they're being d destroyed by the destroyer. But now look at verse 5. 
A throne will even be established in kind, loving kindness. A judge will sit on it in faithfulness in the tent of David. Moreover, he will seek justice. He will be prompt in his righteousness. So it's saying that even though Moab is going to be destroyed, yeah. Israel is going to have a, a, a righteous judge sitting on it. Yeah. Now, it's hard to know. It is Can you say that is a, a king they would know? Like, could it be Hezekiah? Mm. Hezekiah was a very good king at, at that mm. time. And if so... Could he be a picture of the Messiah that's coming later? Right. So that's that's kind of how I see it. I, I think yeah. that there will be a, a righteous judge on the throne at the time of this destruction of, of Moab, but that later on he's a picture of the Messiah that's coming later. Yeah. So that's kind of how I see that one. Well, when it says be a hiding place, verse 4, um, okay. be a hiding place to them from the destroyer. Yeah. Isn't the destroyers. I'm assuming right that's Assyria. Okay. Yeah. That would make a lot of sense, and especially that that would mean that Hezekiah could be that righteous king that's at that time. And it's possible this is an earlier, is this the earlier uh, oracle on Moab? Well, this is earlier than the second one, yeah. Yeah, and then it would maybe, I guess, presumably be ahead of yeah the Assyrian one probably too. Yeah, probably. Uh, it's hard to know yeah. the dates on them, but yeah, yeah. But uh, but it, it would make be, some sense. Sure, it would be Assyria. But it potentially, could be Assyria. Yeah, and, oh, and interesting. And it, and it would seem like to me that the Assyrians haven't been destroyed yet because mm -hmm. they're actually taking over Moab. Yeah. So you could maybe fit some of the history in that one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So so that's Moab. Now the next one is actually interesting. Yeah, you mentioned this earlier. Yeah, you thought it would have been Syria. Damascus is a city. Yeah. So so here you've got. Uh, um, Damascus, and, and it, the, the thing most unusual about this is it's not called Syria, it's called yeah. Damascus. Yeah. And for a long time, Damascus was the major city of Syria. Mm. So it was probably a city-state long before it was a country. Interesting. Yeah. And so, all of 17 is about Damascus? Yeah. All of uh, chapter uh, 17? Uh, uh, yes. Um, to, yep. Because uh, uh, 18 got the next one. Okay. All right. Uh, look at 17, uh, verse 1. The oracle concerning Damascus, behold, Damascus is about to be removed from being a city. It will be a fallen ruin. So that's probably all we got to tell you. Yeah, right. <laughs> and now you know yeah. what's going to happen. Yeah. So here it is against Damascus. Now, on our map, you can see where Damascus is above Israel. Now, what's interesting on this one, though, look at verses 4 through 6. Now, in that day, the glory of Jacob will fade, and the fatness of his flesh will become lean. So what day are we talking about? It's the day that Damascus is going to fall, right? When they're going to be punished. Right. So why is Israel going to be punished at the same time? Right. The answer is during Syro-Ephraimite War, Syria and Israel ganged up on Judah. So right. I actually think this one might be even an earlier time, or at least yeah. referring to an earlier time yeah. when when Damascus is going to be punished. But so is Israel because they they were together together. Yeah. Judah. Wow. Okay. It will be even like the reaper gathering standing grain. As his arm harvests the ears, it will also be like uh, gleaning ears of grain in the valley of Rephaim. Yet gleanings will be left. It will be like the shaking of an olive tree, two or three olives on the topmost bow, uh, four or five branches on a fruitful tree. So that's actually, that's given us a little hint on how they, they gathered fruit. Yeah. My understanding is they'd take the olive tree, wait till it's pretty ripe, and then go and shake it, yeah. and then pick them up off the ground. Yeah. So, but it's yeah. saying that it'll be like having a few olives still left still on that tree. On the, that, yeah. that would be like a remnant. So there's going to be very few people yeah. left. 
Yeah. Okay. All right. In that day, a man will be will have regard for his maker. Now, my guess is that at that point, some of them will. Mm-hmm. Even during Hezekiah's time, as far as we know, some of the people from up north, Israel, came down to be in Judah. Mm-hmm. If I if I was if I was Israel at that point, I would have fled to Judah. Yeah. Right. Because they're they're going right. to be deported by the Assyrians if they don't. Yeah. So it's be to their advantage to get out of there if you can. Yeah. So that's probably what's going on there. Um, and his eyes will look to the Holy One of Israel. He will not have regard for the altars or the work of his hands, nor will he look to which his fingers have made. Well, that's you know, even the Asherim and the incense stands. Yeah. So it's basically saying some of them actually will legitimately yeah. turn back to God. Yeah. Okay. Oh, verse 14, because I wanted you to see that. At evening time, behold, there is terror. Before morning, they are, they are no more. Such will be the portion of those who plunder us and the lot of those who pillage us. So who's the, let's go back. At okay. evening time, behold, there uh, there is terror. Before morning, they, they are no more. So that means the destruction is going to happen really quick, right? Yeah, Bef- over Between quick. evening to, to night yeah. or to morning, right? Okay, such will be the portion of those who plunder us. Who do you think the us would be? I would think it's Judah. Yeah, probably, because it's, it's not going to be Northern Kingdom, yeah, right? Because they're right. in punished already. Yeah. Yeah. So so it's basically saying, and, and remember, we already saw in chapter 14 where it says, so this is going to be the, the lot for those people who mm-hmm. go against God. Well, now it says this is probably because these guys have gone against Israel or Judah. And yeah. so they're going to be plundered too. Yeah. And so he's saying that's it's just like what God had said. Yeah. They're going to be plundered and that's going to be what's going to happen to people that come after us. Yeah. It's over quick. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and it's because they came after Swift. Israel, yeah. right? right? Or Judah. I mean. Yeah. So it will make a distinction. So in, yeah. in the book of Isaiah, it's sometimes really hard to know yeah, whether yeah. it's talking about Israel, the northern kingdom, right. Israel, the country, or Judah. You know, it's it's those terms. So you have to look at the context and see if it gives us any clue. This one, the us, wouldn't make any sense because it, it to be uh, Israel, the northern kingdom, right. because it already told us that Jacob was going to be depleted yeah. its glory is going to be going yeah so yeah. that that helps us to well, see historically that. too yeah the idea that yeah they're partnered with syria at this point yeah because they were taken over yeah or deported. Had at least yeah. yeah good so that's the next oracle now we're on the sixth one and this is against this is chapter 18 yeah. Okay. And this is Ethiopia. We're, we're going to learn later. It, it's another name for Cush. It's below. South of Egypt. Uh, cataracts are, are like where the uh, rocks come through. And so it's like dams almost. Hmm. So it's got it's got uh, five cataracts in the Nile River. And mm. once you get past about the third one, you're into a different country. Yeah. So almost always that was the case. Um, so So basically, we're down in that area just south of Egypt. And the rivers get mentioned twice in here, which okay. was interesting to me. I okay. thought so. I, I was assuming that was some kind of common descriptor for for this Ethiopia. Country? Yeah, yeah. Um, they pick up the exact same phrase. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, well, yeah, yeah. It's it's in two, and then yeah. at the end, verse seven, maybe a powerful and oppressive nation whose land the rivers divide. Oh yeah, okay. That's now, in two and there, there's something called the Blue Nile and the White Nile. And mm. so that's probably so the Nile's dividing the the country. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's probably what it's getting at. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting that came up twice. Yeah. So I, I just assumed maybe that was some kind of you know, that's how you call 
Yeah. So you, how you describe Ethiopia back then was, yeah, you know, prob- it's prob- the country that the rivers. It was probably easiest that way because yeah. it probably changed names quite regularly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just like today. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's look at a couple of these. Let's look at verses one and two. Alas, O land of the whirling wings, which lies beyond the rivers of Cush, which sends envoys by the sea, even the papyrus vessels on the surface of the water. Go swift messengers to a nation tall and smooth. Now, notice it saying, go to them. So my understanding is Israel, is, or Judah at this point, is mm. trying to get help from Ethiopia. Mm. Okay? Now, that tall, make you know what tall is, but smooth would probably mean they didn't have hair on their arms. Like mm. so, and, and that would make sense in in Egypt and in Ethiopia. It's a hot country, so they would they wouldn't have much hair on their arms. Huh. Yeah. yeah. So so I think that's what it's it's talking about. But notice to a people feared far and wide, a powerful and oppressive nation. So that's how they were known even back then. Yeah. So so that gives you some help, but that's the kind of people they want, right? Yeah, who you want on your side. Probably. Yeah, but now look at verse four. For thus the Lord has told me, I will look from my dwelling place quietly like dazzling heat in the sunshine, like a cloud of dew in the heat of harvest. So my understanding is that, that you know how at harvest time it would vapor, uh, dew would evaporate really fast. Okay. So I think that the, it's saying that their hope in Ethiopia to help them is going to be like dew in a, yeah. in a high climate. It's going to be it's, gone yeah. in no time. Yeah. Okay. So the image is beautiful there. All right. Now let's go to six and seven. It talks about them being destroyed. Okay. And then they will be yeah. left together for mountain birds of the prey and for the beasts of the earth. And the birds of prey will spend the summer feeding on them. And the beasts of the earth will spend harvest time on them. So basically it's saying they're going to be destroyed and Basically, there's going to be so many dead, the animals are going to be able to eat off them for a long time. That's kind of what I thought. (laughs) I wasn't sure because the previous verse, it Uh refers to harvest and a lot. It seems like a lot of plants. Yes. You know, it's it's like, you know, um, flour becomes a ripening grape, cut off the sprigs, pruning knives. There's going to be, you know, removal of, you know, branches. It's all in the. Now let's think about that. Okay. Yeah. God's feeding even the birds. So right. basically, in the the first part, they're harvesting food to feed the people. Yeah. The, later, God's harvesting yeah. these people to feed the birds. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought. But I was like, it's pretty dark. Yeah. I yeah. want to make sure that's where I'm, I'm headed. But that's yeah. Yeah, that's it. I think it's a horrible way to go. Yeah. Now look at verse seven though. At that time, a gift of homage would be homage would be brought to the Lord of Hosts. From a people tall and smooth, even from people feared far and wide, powerful and oppressive nation. So that sounds like it's the same gonna, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the exact same wording. Very specific. But now yeah. they're bringing a yeah. gift of homage to the Lord. Yeah. So at some point, they're going to realize how great this God is and they're going to offer him gifts. Yeah. So before, what happened is that the it's saying that the people were going down trying to get these people to fight with them probably, yeah. you know, to give them gifts and hopefully they fight. Well, now at some point they're going to want to be joined with Israel. And so my guess is it, it, this still could be talking about 701 because mm. in 701, the, the people of Cush actually did help Israel, but it didn't do any good. Or, mm. or Judah, I mean, did yeah. help Judah, but it didn't do any good. They came up, but they got destroyed really fast. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Who's, uh, yeah, so a land divided the river to the place of the name of the Lord of hosts, even Mount Zion. 
So they're apparently going to accept the the uh, alliance with Israel or Judah, but it doesn't do any good because yeah. they get wiped out really fast. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. That now Ethiopia. There's one even for e- Egypt. So. Uh, Egypt is a separate one from the Ethiopians. Um, yeah. And that's because during different times in Egypt's history, different people controlled them. And uh, actually, Cush was one of them that, mm. that during Isaiah's time, would they, they would have been controlled by the, the people south of them. Egypt would have been controlled uh-huh. by Cush or yeah. Ethiopia. Yeah. Okay. And then, So what's the distinction for it? Potentially, this is a time when... When this oracle was written, potentially Egypt's own, or is it just a specific? Um, it, it was. Remember, it's a specific country, so it may not necessarily be the same time, but it okay. may be. I see. Okay. In seven hundred one, they both came together to fight uh, uh, against the Assyrians. Yeah, but it didn't matter because the Assyrians yeah. won anyway. Yeah. So, and Egypt is also a fairly long oracle. Yes. This is a this is a little yep. more depth than some of the other ones we've gotten. Yeah. And in fact, what's interesting here is you have a what looks like poetry. And mm-hmm. then a narrative explanation of it in, mm. in more detail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So verses one and two first. The oracle concerning Egypt. Behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and about to come to Egypt. The idols of Egypt will tremble in his, in his presence. And the heart of the Egyptians will melt within them. So I will incite the Egyptians and, and against the Egyptians. And they will fight each against brother against brother, against neighbor. A city against city and kingdom against kingdom. Now that's interesting because during Egypt's history, that often happened. Okay, mm-hmm. um, I had a, a student do a dissertation on this section here, and he he had specific times when he thought these were actually being fulfilled mm. in there, and, and he, I think he was probably right. So oh. so it fits the time period really well. Yeah. Okay. Now look at verse four. Moreover, I will deliver the Egyptians into the hands of a cruel master, and a and a mighty king will rule over them, uh, declares the Lord of hosts, or Lord God of hosts. Now, I've thought that cruel master was the Assyrians. So either uh Esarhaddon, who comes down and takes it, or even Ashurbanipal, which takes Egypt. Okay. Um, but he the the guy that did the dissertation, he actually argued that it was one of the Egyptians' own mm. pharaohs that mm. actually was cruel to the the various nations and oh, interesting. and even even cruel to his nation. Yeah. So he might be right. I still think the Assyrians probably fits it better. Mm. Now the reason I think it fits it better is because Egypt's even though they're Egyptians, they still and they're a cruel master, they still they'd still be ruled under the Egyptians or you know mm. the pharaoh or whoever it is. But if you do it by the Assyrians, they take the whole area and they're cruel over the whole region and yeah. not just one part being cruel over another part of it. Yeah. So yeah. I think it fits a little better. Yeah. All right, let's look in verse 16 then. In that day, the Egyptians will be like women and they will tremble and be in dread because of the waving of the hands of the Lord of hosts. Notice, because of the waving of the hand, we don't exactly know what that means, but it, like the Romans would say, away with the hmm. thing, like we talked about yeah. earlier. I think it's got something like that to, to tell them away with this country. Okay, some kind of dominance. Yeah, and they're gonna. It says like like women, so they're they're gonna be really afraid and and in terror and all that. Hmm. Okay. Um, they were, weren't very sexist back then. I guess they 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 didn't have a problem with with saying that. 
All right. The land of Judah would become a tear to Egypt, and everyone in it will mention the dread of it because of the purpose of the Lord of hosts he is proposing against them. So notice this one is in narrative explaining the destruction that's going on. Yeah. So I wanted you to see, can you look at verse 16? It says, in that day, mm-hmm. then look at verse 18, in that day, Yeah. Uh, 19, in that day, and then 23, in that day. So it's got four oracles. Oh, I think, oh, hang on. 24 as well. Yeah. So there's five oracles explaining what that day is going to be like. Yeah. Okay. So they're going to be in terror was the first one. In that day, five cities of the land of Egypt will be speaking the language of Canaan and swearing allegiance to the Lord of hosts. Uh, one will be called the city of destruction. Okay. So that's interesting. Um, there's a little play on words. It could be the oh, city okay. of the sun there too, but it doesn't huh. matter. It's huh. saying that five cities in the land of Egypt will be, have allegiance to God. Yeah. So I, I, it's hard to know when this is. As, uh, some people have thought it's during the time when, um, like in the about the 400s, Elephantine had some Jewish people living there. Mm. And so maybe cities like that would have would have had their allegiance to God. Hmm. Or it could be, it could be more, because uh, if the city of destruction is actually the city of the sun would be Helopolis, uh, which was one of the capitals at one time in Egypt. Oh, okay. So, and notice it's only only five cities. So that's yeah. that's not a major part of, of Egypt, I would yeah. think, but yeah. some part of a remnant is yeah. gonna be there. Yeah. Okay. And then verse 19, in that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord near its border. So there'll be some kind of an altar mm-hmm. to the Lord at some point too. And then on the border, usually uh, when you had something like this, uh, a pillar that would mark out God's area. Oh. So that could be what that's getting at, that Egypt is going to have a yeah. part that's dedicated to God. Yeah. Okay. So, Here's verse 20. It will 20. become a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt that they will cry to the Lord because of oppressors, and he will send them a savior and a champion, and he will deliver them. Now, once again, that's a kind of a tough thing. Who is that referring to? Right. Some some have thought the, the, the savior or champion is one of the pharaohs of Egypt that actually took back control of the land and following the Assyrians, took back the land from the Assyrians. Hmm. So I think that probably makes sense. So they call out to him and God gives them a deliverer for a short time. I don't, once again, I don't think it's the Messiah, but I think it's a it's one of the deliverers that they had during that historical time. Okay. Okay. All right, verse 23, in that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria and the Assyrians will come into Egypt and the Egyptians into Assyria and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. That was interesting. Yeah. And the next phrase, I I never knew verses 24 and 25 were in this book for a long time. Mm. But look what it says. In that day, Israel will be a third party with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of uh, of hosts has blessed, saying, blessed is Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. Yeah. That is amazing, isn't it? I wrote that phrase down, Egypt, my people. Yeah. That's very fascinating. Yeah. Now, I think it's interesting. Israel's my inheritance. So that means it, that my past connection yeah. is with Israel. Yeah. But Egypt is going to be work of, of is my people and the work of my hands is Syria. And what do you think work of my hands? I, I am assuming it means like a potter would make a vessel. Mm. So here's Assyria, my, my vessel. Okay. 
Yeah. Okay, so could maybe still fit. I my first thought was maybe it's kind of getting into that image of Assyria as like oh, the rod. It's like a oh. tool to be okay. used maybe, but that that may be too narrow then. I this. think I think this is saying that one of these days God's going to have possession in all of these countries. Huh. Yeah. Wow. So now remember, these are the oracles to the nations, right? Mm. And the whole purpose for these is to let people know that Yahweh is the God of all nations, mm. the God of the world. So if if this is happening and he's and it's saying, well, one of these days, I'm going to even have a portion, you know, a remnant coming from these areas that yeah. are serving me. I think that would be a, a a good use of these oracles to the nations. Yeah. So, so I think that's what that's getting at. And, yeah. and, and I think the key is telling us God's not the God of just Israel. He's mm. the God of the world and mm. all. And, and remember, Egypt and Assyria are two of the countries that do serious damage right. to God's people. And right. he's saying, well, one of these days, I'm going to be controlling them. Yeah. They're going to be a part of my kingdom. Yeah. And notice it doesn't say Babylon. Yeah. So I, I think that's given us a little hint that this is earlier than that. Yeah. Because he would thought if if it was written during the Babylonian time that they'd mention that, yeah. but they don't, and I I think that gives you a little hint on the date of it. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because it also doesn't seem this seems like a positive. Yeah. It doesn't seem there. like a, a, I'll be dominating right Egypt or Assyria. It yeah. seems more. I don't know how kind to of say. a relationship. Yeah. 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 I think you're right. I, and I think that's going to, I think that's really talking about the future. I think yeah. there'll be a time when yeah. God's controlling all the world and, mm -hmm. and they'll be doing it because they want to serve him. Yeah. And, and, and that you kind of got that with him making that, that highway that, that mm. goes from Assyria to Egypt and, yeah. and back and forth and they're right, coming right. and they're both going to worship God. They're going to be kind of together. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that helps us too. Yeah. Okay. That's right. the seventh oracle. Uh-huh. And now on to chapter 20. Yeah. And this one is is got two parts, or yeah. it's to two people. Yeah. Uh, it looks like it's to Egypt and Ethiopia. Two people we've already read about. Yes. Or two countries we've already read and, about. And notice, once again, it's a small one. Yeah. And this one is really specific. I don't know if you noticed, but it's talking about a specific time when Ashdod gets captured by Sargon, it sounds like. Mm. Now, let's read it first. In the year that the commander came to Ashdod, then Sargon, the king of Assyria, sent him, and he and he fought against Ashdod and captured it. So so Sargon is is one of the Assyrian kings, okay? Sargon II, about the 705, somewhere in there is, I think, when he died, okay? So, so it's saying that Sargon and his commander is going to go to Ashdod, which are the Philistines, right? Okay. You, okay. Ashdod was one of the major parts of the Philistines. Yeah. It's one so of the that, five cities. Yeah. Yep. And, and that's the Assyrians coming there. Okay. At that time, the Lord spoke through Isaiah, the son of Amos, saying, go and loosen the sackcloth from your hips and take your shoes off your feet. And he did so, going naked and barefoot. And the Lord said, even as my servant Isaiah has gone naked and barefoot for three years as a sign and token against Egypt and Cush, so the king of Assyria will lead you away, captives of Egypt and the exiles of Cush, young and old, naked and barefoot, with buttocks uncovered, to the shame of Egypt. So basically it's saying, 
at some point Assyria is going to going to win a battle mm. where the Egyptians came up and at Ashdod that battle is going to happen. Well, my guess is that's 701 because mm. or the events right shortly before it because that's what happened. Sargon actually died in 705, I believe it was, but then uh, his son Sennacherib took yeah. over. And so Sennacherib's going to be coming in and finishing the job that I, that right. Sargon started. Right. Okay. Poor Isaiah. Wouldn't you have to, for three years, three having to walk around years. naked? Yeah. But imagine, I think sometimes God has to get people's attention. Yeah. And I think this is, he's trying, he's trying to help these people. Mm. You know, here's Egypt and, and Ethiopia. God could have said, you know what? I don't care about you. I'm not going to help you. Well, instead, he sends Isaiah to even send a message to them yeah. that if you go against the Assyrians, you're going to lose. Yeah. And in in that for three years, Isaiah was letting them know that. Yeah. I just think it's interesting that God cares so much about even nations that you would have thought he wouldn't care about. Right. So, but he does. Right. So that's yeah. that's what this one's about. Yeah. That was an interesting one. Yeah. That was very. It is different from the and, others, and it's right very specific because it. yeah. I think it's talking about a very specific time period, and it tells you it's the time when Sargon and and Sennacherib are coming together. It doesn't actually mention um, Sennacherib, but yeah. Sargon was the one that died, and his son took over. Yeah, so that gives you some clue of what time it is. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and now our next one. Okay. Chapter twenty-one. Are we back in the Babylon? <laughs> I think so. Although notice, it's really it doesn't tell us this one. Yeah. Um, there's going to be two of them that are like that. Yeah. Kind of uh, the other one is that yeah. Valley of Vision. Yeah. You know. So so you've got two at the end here where that their titles are a little uncertain about what's going on, but yeah. it, it gets clear later on. Yeah. Okay. Look at look at verse one. The oracle concerning the wilderness of the sea, as windstorms on the Negev swept swept up, and it comes from the wilderness and a terrifying land. A harsh vision has been shown to me. The treacherous one still deals treacherously, and the destroyer still destroys. Go up, Elam, lay siege, uh, media. Let me just. Uh, I don't know. Have you guys? Have you ever seen a dust devil? I don't think I've seen one in person. Look look what that first verse says. As the windstorms mm. move across the Negev, I think that's what talking about a, a, a dust devil. One of, the, mm. one of those that it's almost like a tornado that whips up the, it's a lot smaller, but it whips up this dust and yeah. it's coming across. And I think because uh, Negev is such a dry land, I think that's probably what it's getting at. And it's saying that Babylon is going to be destroyed, and it calls it the wilderness of the sea. Remember, Babylon, uh, its end was down by the sea, mm. so it would fit that area really well. And I think that's why it's called the wilderness of the sea rather than just come right out and say it's Babylon. But it gets real clear that it is Babylon. It was talking about those um, horse riders coming and stuff. But look at verse 9 says very clearly, fallen, fallen is Babylon. Right. And their images are laying on the ground. Yeah. Their gods. Yeah. So it makes it real clear this is a destruction of Babylon. And we, we learned from those countries before too, Elam and uh Oh, in verse media. two, Elam and yeah. media. Yeah. Okay. So that's Babylon has fallen and it's been destroyed. Okay. So you're right. This one actually is coming back to, you know, right at the beginning, we had that one about Babylon. Right. And now it's, I'm not sure why it's got a separate one, unless mm -hmm. this is a, a later time. Um, the earlier one didn't actually mention that they were going to, you know, it talked about the nations are being raised up, mm -hmm. to, you know, like the from Sheol and stuff. But this oh, one, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. this one makes it real clear 
that who's going to do it? Elam and media. Yeah. So, so maybe it just needed a little more clarity, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, okay. That's number nine. And now I've got two shorties, two little short ones. Yeah, we do. So one is Edom, which we hadn't, remember we had Moab before, not oh, yeah. Edom. Oh okay. yeah. Yeah. Edom okay. is basically South. Yeah. South of Moab. Yeah. And now once again, it's really short. Uh, this one's two verses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Oracle concerning Edom. Uh, one keeps calling me from Seir. Seir is an another region in uh, Moab, Mount oh. Seir. I don't know oh, if you've okay, okay, okay. heard of that. So outside um, of Edom or I, kind of on the I think edge it's, or something? I think it's on the border of Edom, but it okay. probably would be considered part of it. Okay. All right. Watchmen, how far is the night? Watchmen, how far is the night? Remember repeating it for mm -hmm. emphasis or for speed. The watchman says morning comes, but also night. So when it says morning comes, but also night, it would mean there was a, a little rest, some kind mm -hmm. of a break, but then more is coming. Yeah. Okay. If you would inquire, inquire, come back again. So I, I guess what it's saying is there, there's more coming. And if you want to know more about it, it'll will tell you more about the destruction that's coming there. Mm. There's going to probably be another one. So I think what this is getting at is that Moab is going to be taken several times. And so there's a, uh, coming and it's going to get easier for them and then it's going to come again and so i think it's just multiple uh, wait you said destructions Moab. edom you i'm sorry edom, edom i meant okay i see, yeah, I see. Sorry. okay yeah, yeah yeah okay yeah that's a quick one yeah <laughs> all right and not so good either uh, you know that it's going to have multiple times yeah. it's going to get punished yeah yeah and it's interesting as how short it is I think. yeah um a lot of, once again, Edom uh, was part of the nation of Israel, you know, because they're mm. related yeah, nation, yeah. actually. So it's interesting that now you've, you've got a little small one against it, too. Yeah. All right. Now, uh, Arabia. So it starts in verse 13. The oracle about Arabia. In the thickets of Arabia, you must spend the night. <laughs> What's that? Well, let's keep going. Uh, o caravans of Dedanites. Bring water for the thirsty inhabitants of the land of Tima. Meet the fugitive with bread. So when it says, uh, bring water for the thirsty, O inhabitants of Tima, and bring a fugitive bread, which means, so so Arabia is really dry. Tima and Dedan would be uh, major cities around the springs of water. Oh, okay. So when the those that are fleeing go through there, they're to help them out, okay? So it, once again, it doesn't tell exactly when it is, but it does say that, you're supposed to help these people when they come through. Yeah. All right. Now, for they have fled from the swords, from the drawn sword, and from the bent bow, from the press of battle. So that lets you know these are fugitives fleeing from some battle. Yeah. Okay. Okay. For thus says the Lord to, to me, in a year as a hired man would count it. I always like that. You know, the, the last time yeah, it was three years as a hired yeah. person. So that actually lets you know. This is this is almost to the day because if I if I was a hired man, I'm going to want to know exactly how yeah. much I'm going to have to you know yeah. work to be for this hire. Yeah. And so, so I think that's what it's getting at. It's going to be a specific, really close yeah. time. Yeah. Okay. All right. And all the splendor of Kedar will terminate, and the remnant of the number of bowmen and the mighty men of the sons of Kedar will be few. And the Lord God of Israel has spoken. So Kedar is another city, and apparently. It was probably one of them that was pretty important because it, it's got a whole verse talking about how it's going to be destroyed and all its people destroyed with it. Mm, yeah. Okay. Now look how it ends. The mighty men and the sons of Kedur will be few for the Lord God of Israel has spoken. 
So that's just confirming to make sure. Now, that's almost all the oracles to the nations. Chapter 22 is actually to Judah again. Oh. Okay, we, we're going to look at it. It's to Judah again. So right at the end of all these other nations, you've got that that the Lord God has spoken this. Mm. So it's true and it's yeah. going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, 22, the Valley of Vision. This one's kind of interesting because it's divided in about half the section. The first one is like one through seven, and it's talking about the events around the to the end of the of Judah. So about five eighty six, it's okay. talking about. But then uh, verses eight through fourteen seem to be talking about more about the time around seven oh one. So there are two different times, but both times Israel is is pretty much destroyed, okay, mm. or almost destroyed. 701, yeah. God steps in and stops it. Yeah. But in 586, he doesn't, and yeah. they get sent off to Babylon. Right, Okay. Right. So let's look at the passage, and we're going to have to do this in pretty good detail because it'll help us to see what's going on, okay? Starts in verse 1. The oracle concerning the valley of vision. What is the matter with you now that you have gone up to the housetops? You who are full of noise, you boisterous towns, you exultant city. You're slain or not slain with the sword, nor did they die in battle. Okay, let me just stop there to make sure we understand. It sounds like there's a tumult outside the, the wall. And so the people are up on the top of this, their houses to see what's going on out there. Mm. Well, what's going on if this is actually 586? It's the Babylonians are out there. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now, how I got that was look at verse three. Your rulers have fled together. They have been captured without a bow. All of you who were found were taken captive together, though they fled far away. Now, do you, I don't know if you remember, but the, at the end of the Babylonian time period, when the when Zedekiah knew they'd already captured the outside city, or I mean, sorry, the outside wall, they'd broken it down hmm. and they were heading to get the next one in Jerusalem. This is how the Hebrew will help you. Jerusalem is got a dual ending on it. That means there's two parts of Jerusalem. One was the the wall around the the palace and the where the king would be. Okay. The other was the outside wall. Yeah. Part of it would be the uh, lower city and then the upper mm. city. Yeah. But the lower city has now already been destroyed. Okay. And they're heading up to get the king in yeah. the upper city. And um, that's when Zedekiah flees. He takes his, his some of his men with him and some of the royal people, and they fled. And so when it says, your rulers have fled together, they have been captured without the bow. All of those were found were taken together captive, though they had fled far away. So they were they were actually fleeing because they wanted to try because they knew the Babylonians were coming. Yeah. So they thought rather than just get sacrificed, they might as well flee. So they actually fled outside. It says they go by the valley gate. Yeah. So that's that's where Babylon they captured them. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's that's talking about the events. For the Lord God of hosts has a day of panic, subjugation, and confusion in the Valley of Vision. So that's where the title comes in. Mm -hmm. So it's just a day of them being destroyed in the Valley of Vision, okay? Breaking down the walls and crying to the mountains, Elam took up the quiver against the chariots and infantry and horsemen and Kerr and covered the shield. Once again, you saw that name, Elam. Elam was that country that uh, yeah. Persians had had used. Uh, yeah. Okay. Now, my guess is when the Babylonians took over Israel, though, they probably hired mercenaries from Elam too. Mm. So that's probably where this is coming from. Elam took up quiver and and Kerr uncovered the shield. So what that probably means is they had mercenaries from that area. Yeah. Okay. 
Then your choices valleys were full of chariots, and the horsemen took up fixed positions at the gate. So to verse 7 there, all of that seems to be talking about the uh, 586 when when the Babylonians took Israel and Cook took them captivity and, and took them off to Babylon. Yeah. Okay. And and so it helps us to know uh, if that's why it's called the Valley of Vision. I think it's because it's it's future time for them, mm. but they know they're going to be destroyed. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now let's look at verse eight. And he removed the defenses of Judah. In that day, you depended on the weapons of the house of the forest. You saw that the breaches in the wall of the city of David were many, and you collected the waters of the lower pool. Well, that doesn't that doesn't fit what happened in 586. What it's talking about there in, in 701, Hezekiah built up the what's called the broad wall today. If you go to Jerusalem, you can actually see the broad mm. wall. Wow. And and they've un, they've excavated it and they can see that Hezekiah, when Sennacherib came in 701, built up that northern wall and they also dug what's called Hezekiah's tunnel. So that didn't happen in 586. But it's another time when God's people were in battle, and and I, so I think it's it's putting two of two of the time periods together, and they're out of chronological order. The first yeah. one is when Zedekiah and his men fled, and then now this is talking about when Hezekiah built that broad wall when Sennacherib came in seven hundred one. Okay, yeah. it's going to get even clearer, but I, but it's interesting. It's talking about two different time periods. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, then you okay. So it just told you in verse nine what was going to happen. Now in verses ten and eleven make it even more detail. You counted the houses of Jerusalem. You tore down the houses to fortify the wall. Well, it just said in verse nine that you saw the breaches in the wall of the city were many. So uh, here's what are they going to do to fix that? Well, they're mm-hmm. going to tear down the walls to build up that the houses. Turn houses to yeah, fortify to the build wall. up that yeah, yeah. wall. Okay, and they made a reservoir between the two walls for the waters of the old pool. The old pool is the pool of Siloam. So in Hezekiah's tunnel, hmm. it starts at the Gihon Springs. Yeah, it goes then down through it and it comes out at the pool of Siloam. Right. It's I think it's about a third of a mile long. Wow. Yeah, underground. Wow. Yeah, but it, it's at Necker's time. What they wanted to do is they wanted to make sure. Hezekiah had water inside the city and that the Assyrians didn't have water. Right. So it made sense to then cover up the opening to the Gihon Springs yeah. and then get water on it. the inside of the wall. Yeah. If, wow. if you ever get a chance, look up on the internet about Hezekiah's tunnel. It's It's got some great pictures to help oh, okay. you to see it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But you did not depend on him and made it. Well, who's the him who made it? the water and the Gihon Springs and stuff like that, be God, right? Yeah. So Hezekiah was thinking about how do I deliver Jerusalem with a- Apart from God? Yeah, I don't know that it is necessary. He just wasn't considering God. Yeah. You know, because at that point, they they had to see if they could do it on their own. Mm. Well, they found out they couldn't and they yeah. needed God's help. Yeah. Um, in fact, uh, we're going to see that later when we get to chapters 36 through 37. It's really clear what happens in-, in yeah, they call on God for help, hmm. finally. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But you you did not depend on him who made it, nor did you take into consideration him who planned it long ago. Hmm. So this was God's plan from long ago, and they, they didn't even consider calling on God for help. Yeah. Okay. Look at verse 12 now. Therefore, in that day, the Lord of hosts called you to weeping and wailing. Oh, wait, let's find out what day are we talking about. 
the day of 701 when they were they he had just said that they they didn't even consider consider yeah. him who made it and stuff yeah. like that so in that day 701 the lord of hosts called you to weeping and wailing to shaving mm -hmm. heads and wearing sackcloth so what would that mean mourning right he's right. called them to mourn and and you would think that in 701 if god saved you that you would you would actually call out to him and thank him and stuff like that well yeah that's not, not what, what happened. happened yeah look what it says instead there's gaiety and gladness killing of cattle slattering of sheep eating of meat and drinking of wine saying let us eat and drink for tomorrow we may die wow so instead of instead of praising god yeah. for just saving your life I mean, think about it. You've got the Assyrians outside. You know the Assyrians are an extremely dangerous foe. Yeah. And you're inside partying saying, well, who knows? We, we made it today. Yeah, yeah. We don't know if we'll make we, it tomorrow. It might not make so. it tomorrow. Yeah. So that's like blowing God off. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So look what he says. But the Lord of hosts revealed himself to me. Surely this iniquity will not be forgiven until you die, says the Lord of hosts. So... I call this the unpardonable sin of the Old Testament. Mm. Do you know what the unpardonable sin of the New Testament is? It's blaspheming yeah. the spirit, right? Yeah. yeah. Do you understand what that is? I've understood it to mean kind of a rejection of a rejection of God. Okay. Let's go to it. Go to Matthew chapter 12. Okay. So uh, Matthew 12, 22. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him so that the mute man spoke and saw. And all the crowds were amazed, saying, This man cannot be the son of David, can he? Um, that's written in such a way to say, Yes, he is. <laughs> so, so they're thinking he's the son of David. Who's the son of David? Well, that's the Messiah, right? Hmm. So they're saying, This guy can't be the Messiah, can he? And they think, Yes, he is. Yeah. But when the Pharisees... Uh, heard this, they said, this man casts out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. They didn't want people to think that Jesus was the Messiah, right? So they'll right. do everything they can to get out of it. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself shall not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Well, that's pretty logical, right? Yeah. He's, he's saying, Satan's not going to cast out his own people. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. So, so his first argument is, this doesn't make sense. Why would you even think that this was Satan cast, you know, Beelzebub casting him out? Yeah. Okay. If I by Beelzebub cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? See, they claim that they had Jewish exorcists that could mm -hmm. cast out demons. And if so, who do they cast them out by? Yeah. Beelzebub too? Right. See, that's, that's the implication, right? Yeah. Okay, for this reason, they will be your judges. So basically, you just told them two really good reasons why it can't be Satan casts out Satan. Yeah. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man and then he can plunder his house? Hmm. So he's basically saying that if I'm doing this by the power of God, then that means the kingdom of God's coming upon you. And that means that Satan is being defeated because mm -hmm. you, you can't take his stuff away from him unless yeah, he yeah. first gets bound. Yeah. So does that make sense? So he's yeah, basically yeah, yeah. saying, this is, this is a no brainer. You guys... And, and and you better think about it because if this is the kingdom of God coming upon him, you guys better get with this or yeah. you're, you're going to be fighting against God. Yeah. All right. Now look at verse 30. He who is not with me is against me and he who does not gather with me scatters. 
Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him either in this age or in the age to come. Now that's really- That's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Now let's see if I can explain it to you, what I yeah. think it means. Yeah. You could see what Jesus was doing. In fact, they were actually watching Jesus do these miracles, right? Because mm. you remember the blind man and the the guy was mute yeah. and deaf. And he says, so you can say stuff against me. So the son of man was Jesus. So he's saying, if I'm doing these things and you can speak against me because you don't know for sure that it's God or me doing it, I'll give you that, okay? It will be forgiven you, okay? So you can say that Jesus is doing it by Satan and that can be forgiven you. But look at here, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him. So my understanding is that when the Spirit of God comes inside of you and you know that this is of God, mm. and then you blaspheme it and say that that's of the devil, mm. that won't be forgiven. Well, now that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Because you don't want it forgiven, right? That inside spirit that's that's helping you to know this is of God. If you blaspheme that and say, no, that's of the devil, the only thing that could help you know the truth you just blasphemed you just said mm. i don't want to know that that's of the devil yeah so you've rejected the anything the only thing that could have helped you yeah does that make sense so yeah. so here's blasphemy of the holy spirit as i understand it's an internal witness that when the holy spirit comes inside you and helps you to know something's true and you blaspheme that yeah then there's no no help for you because you just blasphemed the only thing that could have helped you yeah so does that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think I think that's what he's saying here. So it's a clear rejection of, of of inside God telling you that this is true and you're rejecting it. Yeah. Now let's put that okay. back in the Old Testament. Okay. These guys knew very clearly that God had delivered them, right? I mean, he had he had yeah, just right. he had just wiped out the Assyrians in 701 and they're going, oh, eh, let's eat and drink for tomorrow we may die. So he's he's saying you just you just knew clearly well that I had delivered you and you blew me off. Yeah, you rejected that very knowledge. So I'm going to argue that that is the unpardonable sin of the Old Testament, which is very similar to the uh, blaspheming of the new of the spirit in the New Testament. Yeah. is rejecting clear knowledge that you know is true, and you blow it off and argue that it's of the devil. Yeah. So I think this makes a lot of sense then. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty rough. Yeah. I mean, but it's it's kind of fair too, yeah. really. You know, everybody always wants to know if you've committed the unpardonable sin. Right. Most people will say, if you're even worried about that, then you're pretty sure you haven't committed it. Yeah. Well, that is logical too, because do you see what the Pharisees were doing? The Pharisees knew he was Jesus and that he was the son of God and he was doing these things by the power of God. And if they didn't totally knew that, they were really close to knowing that and still yeah. rejecting it. Yeah. But instead of saying, yeah, that's of the power of God, they're saying it's of the devil, of yeah. Beelzebub. Yeah. So it, it seems like to me these these guys in the Old Testament are real close to doing what the Pharisees were doing. Right. Okay. Now we're almost done, but we've got one more section. And this one's inter interesting. So what I tried to do is it's got basically three parts to it. It's got the events around 586, uh -huh. 1 through 7, then the events around 701, mm -hmm. 8 through 14, and then that unpardonable sin. That that was actually verse 14. Yeah. Okay. Then it talks about Shebna. Shebna is the ruler of the house, it says. So he mm -hmm. must be one of the key people controlling it. 
It, it says he's in charge of the royal household. That, oh, that's, I see. It's very explicit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So basically, uh, what was happening is he was one of them that was controlling what was going on in the in the kingdom, and apparently he built a tomb for himself up in the. Uh, it says up in the cleft. Mm -hmm. So apparently, in a prominent place, and God says. You're a servant of mine. You're not supposed to be doing stuff. Your your job is to control my kingdom. It's not to be building these yeah. big monuments to yourself. Yeah. And so he basically says, "I'm going to take you out of there and throw throw you into captivity, be Babylon, <laughs> and I'm going to put a new king in your place." And he put the new one is is in verse twenty. Then it will come about in that day that I will summon my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. And I will clothe him with a tunic and tie your sash securely about him. I will entrust him with your authority and he will become a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. So basically, Shebna went beyond what he was supposed to do and God has a little oracle right yeah. against him. Yeah. In the midst of the oracles to the nations, <laughs> it's his own people. So that was, I think, is one of the interesting things. In the midst of the oracles to the nations, yeah. you've got one specific, against Judah even, yeah. and then one against the ruler of the royal household, yeah. and he gets nailed too. Yeah. So which it, yeah, I feel like we need to talk about verse seventeen and eighteen because that's just okay. great. Okay. Behold, the Lord is about to hurl you headlong, <laughs> oh man. Yeah. And he's about to grasp you firmly and roll you tightly like a ball. <laughs> the, the, the Hebrew is really interesting there, yeah. uh, uh, of rolling him like a ball. It's yeah. it's it's balling you up like a ball. It's, it's yeah. using the same words to kind of highlight it. Yeah. And then he's going to throw him off into <laughs> yeah. Babylon. Yeah. You're not coming back from that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, now let's now let's look at what it says about uh, Eliakim. Verse 22, Then I will set the key of the house of David on his shoulders. What he opens, no one will shut, and what he shuts, no one will open. Mm. I will drive him like a peg in a firm place, and he will become a throne of glory in his father's house. So he's going to do his job really well. Yeah. Okay, but now look at the verse 24. So they will hang on him all the glory of the house of his father's house, the offspring and issue, all the the least of vessels from the bowls to the jars. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, the peg driven in the wall in a firm place will be give way and it will even break off and fall and the load hanging on it will be cut off for the Lord has spoken. Hmm. So that's saying that even Eliakim, he's doing his yeah. job, but he won't be able to hold the country together. It's yeah. going to be taken off and, and he's going to go to Babylon. Okay. So that's what it yeah. means. He's going to yeah. jerk it out of the wall yeah. and send them off into Babylon. Yeah. So basically it's saying even even though there was probably some people doing a good job, the vast majority have gone way beyond mm. what God ever intended in it. And they've rebelled so bad yeah. that they're going to be punished. Wow. Yeah. So that's kind of how the oracles to the nations ends. And notice it ends with the Lord has spoken. So right. now you've got the this is this is really true. Yeah. You gotta believe it. Yeah. So what do you think? <laughs> Pretty intense. Yeah. That was a lot. We covered a lot of ground today though. And and basically it's now these various nations, they've done stuff against God and they're gonna be punished for it because they've uh wandered away from God. And then it ends with Shebna, who's the royal household, the one that controls that, and he's wandered away from God, so God punishes him. Hmm. And it says you're going to be cast off into into captivity, and that's basically how it ends. And even though Eliakim 
is a pretty godly guy, apparently. Yeah. Uh, he can't hold the nation together. Yeah. It's gone too far. Yeah. So. Yeah. Hopefully this isn't too jarring for our listeners. We made a mistake. <laughs> We left an entire oracle to a specific nation out. We forgot the oracle to Tyre. And actually, it's a pretty important one. So we probably better have it. <laughs> yeah. So this is chapter 23. Yep. Let's get into the oracle against Tyre. Tyre was an island. And and for probably 400 years, starting at the, um, the Syrian Empire, no one was able, they were all able to conquer the land side, you know, the, the old tires. Kind of on the mainland. Yeah, most of yeah. the countries had been able to take that part, but they could never get the island. And so for like 400 years, country after country tried to destroy the island of Tyre and couldn't mm. until Alexander the Great came. And what he did is he took the destruction from old Tyre, that rubble and stuff, put it in the ocean all the way out to the city of Tyre. Or he made the like island a bridge, like a land yeah. bridge to get over. Yeah. And made it so, it so it went all the way out to it and then conquered it. What a feat. Yeah. <laughs> he was an amazing <laughs> That's man. Amazing. That is amazing. Oh. So, but, but actually, this passage must be a, describing that destruction because it huh. sounds like it's talking about a time when Tyre is going to be pretty much totally destroyed mm. and not not just the land part, uh, you know, the, the main part of the country, but the part on the island seems to have been destroyed too. Wow. Because one, one of the words seems to hint that it's a harbor that's destroyed. Okay. So it does seem like it. Yeah. But basically you've got just a couple passages that are really important. Verses one through three talk about its destruction. Mm -hmm. Okay. And remember now Tyre is really important for the Mediterranean region mm. because they, they would trade with Egypt. They would trade with the Greece empire. They would trade with uh, Tarshish. Remember uh, Jonah flees to Tarshish? Yeah, I saw Tarshish a few times in here yeah. and I was wondering why. Yeah. Why? Because it's not, it's not part of Tyre itself, but yeah. it's part of the merchant uh, sailing yeah. routes that they went to. Yeah. And it was probably the furthest one away. It was probably mm. for them, it was like the end of the world. You know, they were at the, the it was yeah. probably over by the Cape Hope in, oh, in, okay. on Portugal side there yeah. probably. So basically what this, this Oracle is about is telling us that Tyre is going to be destroyed and all these people are weeping like Tarshish is weeping and it, the oh, ships of Tarshish remember, because those yeah. ones would have now meant yeah, there's, a, there's no one to trade with yeah, this anymore. This is a significant economic yes. disruption. Yeah. If you look at uh, another one, um, report to them from the land of Cyprus. So Cyprus would have been another one mm. that was really hard hit. And then uh, be silent, you inhabitants of the coastland, you merchants of Sidon, your messengers cross the sea. So Sidon was actually closer to, it was in the Lebanon area. Mm. So it was closer to her. But one of them laments that Sidon wasn't able to take anywhere near the merchant and stuff like Tyre had, it, it laments that they couldn't multiply their uh, success. Mm. So that's the first thing is talking about it falling. And then in verses eight and nine, it talks, it says, let me just read this. Who has planned this against Tyre, the bestower of crowns, whose merchants were princesses, whose traders were the honored of the earth? The Lord of hosts has planned it to de defile the pride of all the beauty, to despise all the honored of the earth. So it sounds like what he's doing is he's remember back in chapter three, where it said those who would be lifted high, he was going to bring down. Right. Well, this is one of them. So he's, he's saying that Tyre had gotten to such an extent in their pride and their arrogance and stuff like that, 
that he wanted to bring them down. Mm. And so he does. Yeah. And the, okay, so who has planned it? The Lord. Now, in that day, Tyre will be forgotten for 70 years, like the days of one king. Now, notice, remember that, you know, when Israel got captive mm. and taken off to Babylon? Yeah. Remember it was for 70 years too? Right. So it's it's a similar kind of thing. Now, this one likens it to the days of one king. So like the idea of the authority of a king being for 70 years. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of, it's interesting. They don't say like God destroyed Babylon or God sent Israel to Babylon uh, for 70 years. They liken it to the, the time period of a king. Huh. Okay. At the end of 70 years, it will happen to Tyre as in the song of the harlot. Take up your harp, walk about the city. Oh, forgotten harlot, pluck the strings skillfully, sing many songs that you may be remembered. So at the end of 70 years, the Lord will visit Tyre. Then she will go back to her harlot's wages and will play harlot with all the kingdoms on the face of the earth. Her gain and her harlot's wages will be set apart to the Lord and it will not be stored up or hoarded, but her gain will become uh, sufficient food and choice attire for those who dwell in the presence of the Lord. Hmm. So something it's, it says that Unlike in the past, she was using all that money for herself. Yeah. Now that money is going to be used for God's people. Wow. Remember, Tyre was one of the people that supplied a lot of the food and the wood and stuff like that okay. for the temple or the stones for a temple. Oh. I don't know if you remember that, but that might be what it's getting at, that at some point it's going to be supplying God's people again, huh. or it might be likening it to that time when it likened, uh, it was supplying it before. Interesting. So that might be what's going on here. Yeah. But what's interesting, it's almost like a climax because Tyre was like the epitome of the nations against God. They were doing their own thing. They were, they were, it talks about their princes as being like kings because yeah. they were so honored. Well, now God's going to bring them down it's like the the epitome when the when Tyre is like the hugest thing and God destroys it. Well, now we're going to go in soon, very soon into the little apocalypse, which is in chapter twenty four. Uh -huh. So we've got quite a interesting build up right before of God destroying kings and nations and yeah. stuff like that. But now we're going to go into the destruction of the whole world. Wow! So that's that's kind of where we're going anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to get there. Well, what do you think? It was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot, but it's. I think it's. Uh, uh, I mean, on a on a higher level, I think it's fascinating to kind of see how Israel, or maybe Judah, more specifically, yeah. in a lot of these cases, is even relating to their neighbors and yeah. all the countries they have all this history with. Yeah. Now God's controlling. Yeah. All that and really driving it forward. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. It was very good. So oh, very good. And what we'll see is remember that I made it real clear about Assyria being kind mm. of like the key oracle. Yeah. When we get to the second uh, the back part of the palestrophe, we'll see how God what God did to Assyria and, and the punishment that he gave them. Okay. So and see how that fits together. Yeah. And yeah. uh how much how are we gonna reach the end of the, the palestrophe? I think next time we'll talk about the little apocalypse. Okay. Okay. So the little apocalypse has got some real fascinating things in it. Even some things that are in the book of Revelation it talks about. So we'll, I'll try to point those out for you. Okay. And then we might even be able to get into these in that middle part of the palestrophe that has the the judgment oracle and then yeah. a restoration and then a judgment and restoration. So we'll see that next time. Okay. And how far should we read to um, get into that? Is that into like 28, 29? Yeah. Around there? 
you know what? If we can get through the little apocalypse and even into a part of the the middle of that palystrophe, that would be good. Okay. Okay. So why don't we read to 30? That to 30. makes sense. Okay. We'll read to 30. All right. Very good. We covered a lot today, a yeah. whole lot, but I think it was really helpful for how we're going to approach this next really big Second. chunk yeah. of uh, chunk of Isaiah. So remember, everyone, do your homework. Try to get through 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 thirty or yeah. Why don't we 30. Why don't we read through In, thirty into yeah. yeah? Okay, so let's let's go ahead and try to finish through Isaiah thirty. Yeah, be sure you join us next time as we continue to study Isaiah. Yeah.